Are you blessed or are you cursed With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst Do you wanna confide about the darkness inside Come and talk about it on Self Worst Alright, here we go. Welcome back to Self Worst. I'm Brad Pearson. Uh, Happy New Year, I guess. <laughs> this is the first new episode of... Uh, of, of 2024 eh, we're almost a month in it's not really happy new year time anymore fuck it i don't know i've been doing stuff the show's slowly coming back and we're recording more stuff and we're getting this thing moving again and thank you for bearing with us uh but here we are i don't know i've been doing shit i i got i got a ps4 for a, got a white elephant gift for christmas Someone got a PS5 and they were discarding their PS4 and they gave me the craziest white elephant gift ever, which is a highly advanced gaming system, just not the newest, newest gaming system. So I got one of those in my house now. First time in a while I've had a gaming console in my house. I've been worried about the ramifications, the implications of that, um, you know, being an ADHD person getting distracted, having it suck up all my time, but it's been fine. I feel like I've, been, I've still been getting shit done. I still go to work and stuff. I still pay attention to, to people in my life and things like that. I, I'm fine. Um, playing the, the Spider-Man game a lot, like that one. like that one a lot. That's maybe a little basic, but fuck it. It's so good. You just web-sling around Manhattan just slinging around New York that's all that if that was the whole game I would be happy it just it just looks so good it's so nice it feels it feels they really nailed the atmosphere of New York and Spider-Man they really got it they really did a good job you swing around you try it on different spider suits you get little outfit changes trying little outfits go stop a mugging sling around a little bit more have a little witty catchphrase or something a, little, a witty retort and then sling around some more it's great very relaxing glad I have that in my life I you know fun and unproductive things are okay to have in your life you're okay, you are allowed to have those sorts of things um, and just uh, sort of relax and just not uh you know, contribute anything. Just do a dumb thing, push buttons, look at screen. That's fine. As long as you're, you know, it's balance. It's about the balance. Anyway, that's been happening. I'm back in therapy. I got a new therapist. We've done two sessions so far. That's fun. Like, fun, I guess. I don't know. Fun's not the right word, but, you know, good. Um, and yeah, looking forward to that. Looking forward to forming a new uh, connection with the therapist. Uh, you know, I got to paint all the broad strokes, given my whole background and all of that. So we're just kind of getting to know each other at this point, but it's promising. She seems cool. Yeah, my therapist is a girl, a lady. I don't think that, I think that's better for me. I've had, I've had male therapists, female therapists, and I just prefer a lady. That's just me. It, it's, it's really your choice. I don't know. So that's what's been going on with me this last uh, month or so. You know, it's just, uh, it's it's January, man. It's just gray, fucked up, gross, cold, disgusting, stuffy nose all the time. 
Just a long-ass slog of a month, but we're getting through it. Uh, my guest this week is Donovan Ayer. They're the co-host of a really great podcast called Radio Free Tote Bag. Go check that show out if you haven't uh, listened to it. If you like this show, you'd really like that one. Um, it's a, a dating advice show, but uh, you know, th- sort of through a, um, a, a, a queer lens, a, a modern relationships lens. A lot of, I mean, you know, they they talk to people who are fully monogamous and married and stuff too, but they also talk to people who are in you know polycules and transitioning and all of that stuff. And it, it they they also do a lot of like questions about just just socializing, just social anxiety. What do I do when I feel like everybody hates me? What do I, you know, how do I, how do I get the confidence to like go stand up in front of people? How do I, how do I like leave the house? You know, just, just stuff like that. That's, you know, just nice and supportive and a good, good chill environment. Go check it out. It's, it's great. It's better than this podcast. No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do the self-deprecating thing anymore. That's a new arrangement with my therapist. We're really, you know, we're trying to work on that. This is a good show. This is a this is a good a good podcast. Ugh. I can say things like that, and uh, it's it's fun. It's good. I look uh, this episode. I'm actually really proud of. I I am. I had a great time recording this. And I'm excited to put this one out. I think they really brought the heat this this episode. Uh, they understood the assignment. They knew what what to bring, and uh, that's all I got. I don't know. It, it, this episode speaks for itself. It stands on its own. So let's just go to it and just listen to it. Um, you know, I, okay. So the audio the audio's fine i don't know they they were cool enough to record th- their audio on their end on a, 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 a nice microphone and so i do have a nice crispy recording of their side of the audio but i had to use uh my side of the audio because i fucked up and i recorded my side in mono so i can't just tune out their you know it's it's it'd be a whole thing it'd be really a pain in the ass to splice their uh, audio in, so we're just going with the the uh, onboard mic. It sounds fine. It's not as good as I would like, but I don't think you'd notice if I hadn't said anything. I don't know. It's fine. I've only been doing this for seven years. Sometimes I make little rookie mistakes. I'm pretty green. I've only been making podcasts for years and only been working with digital audio interfaces since I was in like late high school. Sometimes you just push a wrong button. Oopsie. Um, other than that, perfect episode. 10 out of 10. One of the best. And uh, that's all. Let's let's go to the let's go to the thing. Let's go to the, the thing where we talk to each other. Right on. Okay. Well, let's get started. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself to, to the audience and uh, introduce yourself a little bit to me because this is kind of the first time we're actually talking face to face. I only know so much about you. Yeah, that's true. We've just uh, we've just messaged on the web. Mm-hmm. We've just been in a chat room together up to this point. Pretty much. I'm I am Donovan Air. I am half of the Radio Free Tote Bag podcast. Uh, we're a dating advice podcast. We've been running for it'll be six years in March. We've been going for a pretty long time. Uh, it's a you know it's a like an old Love Line style show. 
except we're trans, and we got lots of trans guests and gender questions. People write their questions in each week, we answer them. We got guests on the show. Uh, I found you because we've had a whole bunch of the same guests. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, overlap, I think, in, in just the uh, kind of freaky lefty um, podcasting community that, that, that just gets sort of recycled around. It's pretty incestuous. Exactly. Uh, but out, outside of that shit, uh, I'm a synth musician. That's a relatively new thing. I've been I've been playing a little over a year now after not playing music for a good five or six year stretch. Uh, I started doing acting stuff last year. I've done a student film. I've done some voice acting. I'm uh, I'm seeing what I can do with that stuff. And uh, I got a cat. And uh, I do like programming work in my normie job, but I don't really talk about that. Fair enough. It's pretty boring. <laughs> I've done some. It's dry as yet. hell. It's it's not interesting. It's esoteric. It's not interesting <laughs> to anybody who doesn't already doesn't also do that. You know what I mean? Because like you try right. to explain, and you see their eyes glaze over, and you're like, "Well, okay, so this isn't." Yeah. I don't don't even want to explain, but I'll be out with people sometimes. Like I'll be on a first date, and they want to ask me about it, and I'm like. Uh, this is like the dry shit I do in my normal job. You don't want to know about that. Here's like the cool creative stuff I do. And sometimes people press me on it. And I'm like, what do you want me to tell you about data? What are we talking about this for? <laughs> I don't like, <laughs> I can't have this conversation. You need to trust me that you don't want to have this conversation. Yeah, it's going to go to sleep. It's weird. I went to a, a coding boot camp about a year ago. And, um, you know, when people ask me if I'm like, interested in in tech and programming i'm like interested enough like it's tolerable it's it's work that's that i can do and doesn't make me want to kill myself you know like it's fine it's not (laughs) it it pays well if you can get hired somewhere and that's really all i'm looking for it's work is work i don't i don't need to love it it's fine exactly you know um so what about you like had did you get started in it kind of for those same reasons or you're just like well this will pay the closest thing to like a middle class wage um and that's like the only shot i have i kind of fell into it Mm -hmm. i uh i've got pretty severe adhd and some other uh brain stuff going on yeah a lot of people in the tech world do as it turns out (laughs) A lot of people generally, I think everybody's got some screws loose. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty normal. It's just how aware people are of what's going on in theirs. Now, I went to school for like uh, psychology. I, I was right. going to do, I wanted to be a therapist. And then I wanted to do like research psychology. And I like applied to PhD programs and stuff out of, right out of undergrad. I like, I got into some programs and I had this moment of like, I'm just doing this because this is what you're supposed to do when you do psych for undergrad. And like, I'm 23 and I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And every grad student I talked to was like, if you don't like, or if you do not want to do this more than anything in the world, you're going to want to kill yourself. Like, I'm just being straight with you. Do, like, do not go to one of these programs unless you're all fucking in. And I'm like, I'm 23. I don't know if I'm all in on anything in my life. I don't know who the fuck I am. So I bailed on that. And, uh, I'd had like a little bit of exposure to R, which is a programming language, data specific stuff. And I was like, I'll apply and see if I can find an intro thing with that. 
And I like, I honestly lucked the fuck out. I got a job at a startup, like a 10 person company. They paid for me to like take classes and I kind of, I kind of fell into it and it, yeah, it pays well and it's pretty flexible and it, all things considered, it's a, it's a good ass job. I like lucked the fuck out, uh, but it, it's dry as shit. I yeah. don't, <laughs> no part of me is like, yes, this is, I love what I'm doing, but it's, it's, it's fine. Yeah. You know? It's weird. It's I've I've met a couple of people who are super into tech stuff. Um, they're pretty few and far between in the actual industry, though. Like, there's people who are really interested in in tech stuff just from like a uh, like little burgeoning capitalist standpoint like they want to start right. their own little company and they have this idea for an app and blah 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 and like okay whatever i will never relate to that but glad we got your innovators out there or whatever right it's and like then, uber for lyft yeah <laughs> it's you know it's, it's usually stuff like that like cool great but then there's people like my instructors were so um enthusiastic about it like they kept like his his like common refrain, my instructor Daniel just was just like, "Isn't that cool?" And I was like, "Yeah, it's cool. Like, it is, it's it cool. cool." But like, <laughs> he, he was just like so enthused and so enthralled with it. And I was like, "Okay, so this is why you're like not only working in tech but teaching tech because this is like your thing." And like talking to computers has been like a thing since you were like twelve years old. And this is yeah. this is you. So that's that's great. But you know, it it, it and doesn't. It is, it is cool. It is like, cool. It is cool. It, it's it's an it's an interesting like what you can do with it is really interesting and um, how you know computer science has developed the whole history of that. Like I barely know anything about the history of you know coding languages and computer science, data science, JavaScript, all of that stuff. But it's interesting like how that stuff gets put together, and I I can't fathom the sorts of minds that can write those sorts of things, like right. just develop a, a, a new language out of, out of nothing. I'm like, no, I I'm good. Like if it's already code that's there and it's like bolts of cloth and I can cut pieces out and make something with that. That's great. But so far as like coming up with a whole new fucking fabric and it's crazy. That's it's, insane. It's that's, that is insane brain stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I was always a little intimidated by all of that, but here we are. What what made you want to um, start doing um, psychology? I uh, so in, in your in your kind of pre-show questions mm -hmm. and uh, episodes I've listened to, you talk to people a lot about mental health stuff. I had uh, I had a pretty fucking rough childhood in that regard, like. We've talked about this a bit on my show. I won't go into like the absolute full background story, but like summarized version. Like I was feeling depressed when I was like eight years old. Mm -hmm. I was feeling I had weird obsessions. I was raised Catholic and I would get these religious fixations. Like I was in a pretty constant state of like stress and anxiety and depression without having any language for any of that because I was a baby. Right. So. I like started to kind of realize, I think that not everybody was like that and that something was going on. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty lucky that I've, I've got like a good family situation. I was able to get into therapy. Like they took me seriously bringing these things up. Uh, 
but I was, you know, in and out of seeing different psychologists and trying to get diagnoses. We were also moving every three years growing up. So uh, just a lot of stuff going on. I ended up going to inpatient at like 15 because I tried to kill myself while we were out of the country. And uh, that's not good. So they sent me back to the U.S. I got put in like an inpatient program. Uh, I've been in one of those twice as a teenager. And uh, got a diagnosis of obsessive compulsive disorder and ADHD and major depression. Some some classics right there. Everybody mm -hmm. knows them. Everybody loves them. Yeah. Uh, and I've, you know, been dealing with that my entire life to, to varying degrees of success pretty good recently. Um, but I had a couple really good therapists in there and I was like, damn, these people saved my life in a lot of ways. Uh, I'm, you know, this sucks, but I'm fascinated by what the fuck is going on with my brain and other people who deal with this stuff. So I, I wanted to learn about all that. So that's how I got, that's how I got into it. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. What were, so your obsessions when you were a kid, sounds like it was a lot of like religious based obsession, which that is one big facet of OCD. I, I don't remember what the other ones are, but like, I've heard somebody talk about this before. There's categories that an OCD brain really likes to latch onto and fixate mm -hmm. generally. And one of them is religious. One of them is like, uh, like weird, like obsessions with like sexuality and violence or like intrusive thoughts, stuff like that. Yeah, one of them is, too. yeah. Um, there's, there's a couple of them. Uh, one of them I think is, I think this more happens with like, uh, bu -bu -bu -bu. Pe people with like more like delusional disorders, but like paranoia and like, you know, scheming and, and, and Illuminati and reptile people and, and shit like that. Like get, they get obsessed with that kind of stuff, you know, like that can become an obsession, weight obsession, body dysmorphia is an obsession, you know? So like the, it's, it's, it all kind of goes back to the same basic disorder, but in different, uh, you know, just, just pointed at different things, basically. You get was, latched on to different stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but for I, you, it was religious stuff. I was raised like pretty intensely Catholic. Uh, interestingly, like my mom has since left the church pretty recently. None of my siblings are religious. Like everybody kind of got out of it and realized it's not a great thing. Uh -huh. <laughs> and it's a whole other wormhole to go down. But like my mom was raised extremely Catholic. And so I was raised extremely Catholic and, um, you know, I just had all these fixations on like, uh, if I did something I perceived as like wrong, or I thought that like God wouldn't like, like it would consume my thoughts and I would have to like, I would just feel this intense weight and physical like pressure in my body, like a sickness feeling where I couldn't like focus on other stuff. I would be so fixated on, you know, this one thing and like what I was supposed to do to uh, like atone for it, basically. A lot of it, like in retrospect, wasn't even necessarily like connected to like Catholic doctrine, but I think just that overwhelming sense of like shame and God is always watching. And like, if you do something wrong, like that's fucked up and you have right. to like, suffer for that basically i would just go through these awful cycles with that and it really sucked and again i just like i didn't have the language for any of what was going on because this was hitting me when i was you know a pretty a pretty young kid 
and uh, luckily there's no lingering effects uh, in the long term, and none of that religious trauma affects me at all yeah, anymore. Yeah, totally all. fine now. <laughs> Clean slate. <laughs> Tabula rasa. Um, yeah, not good. But yeah, I mean, it sounds like you were like a real, like a true believer in some ways in, in the, 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 the biblical story and, and all of that stuff. But I mean, you don't necessarily even have to be. It's more just that it it, it sort of it irritated some sort of perfectionist streak within you that that was in there. And it doesn't really matter that that it was Catholicism specifically could have been anything else. But it does seem yeah. like Catholicism does have a particular way of, of riling that up in people. So I don't know. The, the shame thing is just mm -hmm. enormous with it. Um, like, you know, because I, I grew up with extended family in that church. Like, I, you know, know a lot of stories from my, my mom's, you know, extended family in the past. Other people I met and stuff, friends I have still who have also dealt with, you know, degrees of this kind of thing. Um, but it's that it's that just shame element that's so fucking pervasive. And it's kind of like memed to death, like, oh, yeah, Catholic shame and stuff. And everybody kind of knows what you're talking about. But that is such a it's such a weight to carry all the time where you're just being hyper self-critical or like you do something you think is wrong. And so you just feel this weight on you. It just drains your energy mm -hmm. and for no reason, like it doesn't accomplish anything. And uh, I think finally coming to that realization, like after leaving the church as a teenager and going to more therapy and figuring myself out uh, and honestly doing our show where we talk a lot about all the shame around sexuality and yeah. in our culture and in you know, Catholic culture also, because my, my co-host comes from that background too. Um, it, it's wild to feel like so much lighter having spent a good, you know, 25 years of my life, maybe more just carrying that weight to finally be at a place where I can be like, oh, that's stupid. And if I actively work against these tendencies that were ingrained in me, I'm like so much happier and I have so much more energy. It's really cool. <laughs> so you're saying that internalizing all of that shame didn't actually make you a better person didn't actually make you act better <laughs> believe it or not brad no it weird did, it did not it's crazy that's crazy so um when you were um uh hospitalized were you still dealing with the, with the 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 shame or was this kind of after this is like sort of after the fallout of of moving away from from catholicism this would have been right around the time I was I was leaving. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit hard for me to like remember some of the specific details at this time because I was just so out of it. Yeah. Like when your brain is running, you know, obsessing over things and just running at full steam all of the time, like I would just have stretches where I would dissociate and shut down. Yeah. I would just kind of it, memories can be harder to form when you're putting all your, you know, energy into that stuff. I don't think that, I don't know if that part, I mean, it was related to that for sure, because that shame thing is tied up with the anxiety and the depression that I was feeling. But at that particular time, I feel like it was just this weird, <clears throat> just like a heavy depression without a clear like source for it. Mm -hmm. I just felt like really empty 
and bleak. And I don't know if I could even have articulated why, but I just had this sense one day of like, I just want to not exist. I'm really sick of like doing this all of the time. I know that feel. Uh, um, so what yeah. were you using, you know, outside of therapy to try and cope with that? Uh, at the time, mostly, uh, mostly self harm mm. and, uh, wasn't even really doing it like drugs or drinking or anything yet at the time. Although that came kind of shortly after this is around, I think I'm 15 when I had that attempt. Yeah. My sophomore year of high school, I'm out of the, we lived in, uh, in Caracas in Venezuela when I was in high school. So I was at like an international school. Are you an air force brat or something? No, my, my, my dad works for like a, you know, one of the big companies that owns a bunch of brands and stuff. And uh. he does like, sales shit so we would just get moved every okay. three years you get relocated from work yeah. or like a new account or, or, or whatever everybody thought that though and he's a big bald guy so everybody thought he was like a cia guy yeah my, my dad was an air force brat so like he moved around and that's how he ended up in omaha because there's a big ass air force base there so yeah yeah but so I, was, I was down there that's all hitting me I think like part of it too, I, I had my first like serious crush on somebody and some like mutual thing happening uh -huh. there when I was about 14 or 15. And um, I feel things pretty, pretty intensely. Mm -hmm. uh, I might say hypersensitive, highly sensitive person is a term that's used to describe like some symptoms of autism and of OCD and some other kind of disorders in, in that spectrum. Uh, but I was just, I felt things really, really intensely. So like the shame hit really, really hard. Having f like romantic feelings really fucked me up when it like didn't work out. And also you're 14 years old and don't know how to communicate or yeah. any of that stuff works. I think that was a component. And then around the same time, I think I was dating her by then. I had like my first girlfriend when I was 15. I think we had just started dating before the attempt, but it wasn't like going bad or anything. But I had like, in a three month period, I, I leave the church because she's, she's atheist. And I was like, I'm not gonna have sex till marriage. And then I got like a hand job and was like, wait a second, this is, <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> what am I doing? Right. So I leave. And then within that three month span, uh, have my first kiss, I touch a boob for the first time. Hell yeah. Smoke a cigarette, drink for the first time, uh, lose my virginity uh and you know ha have a girlfriend like all of this stuff in that window and i do think maybe just like the intensity of those emotions and also like processing sexual activity when mm -hmm. having this big like catholic shame history i think that might have just kind of all together overwhelmed me a bit and really kicked up the depression yeah. to the point where i was like yeah i just don't want to do this anymore that makes sense. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Um, so when you came out of it, um, how long before you could kind of like, uh, you know, feel like you were back on your feet rebuilt and like, cause you know, if you're 51, 50, then they keep you for what, 48 hours, but they're not actually going to fix all your problems in that span of time. Um, right. you have to actually kind of keep working on stuff. So what was that process like after getting out? Well, so did, like these details are kind of coming back to me as I'm, I'm talking about this. That attempt happens first. 
I like tell my parents what happened basically as I was in the midst of trying to do this and they get me fly me back to the States. I'm there for a week. It's like an outpatient thing, but I spend all day in this facility with like eight other kids. Some of them are inpatient, but I was like just going in during the day. And uh, honestly, in that process, just engaging with other people who I could just had much worse issues than me. I kind of came to a place of like, oh, okay, it could be so much worse than it is. I maybe I can like work through this. Like at least I can kind of tell that I've got a better handle on it and a much yeah. better like family situation than a lot of the people met or I, I met then. Um, so I there for a week. I come back. I also kind of struggled socially. I was really antagonistic towards other kids. I had this like weird persecution complex, even though it was probably just like people like razzing me because of being really sensitive. I would be like, people like hate me and are trying to attack me. So I have to like fight back. You had like Christian Slater syndrome. A hundred percent. And so I, you know, I had some friends, I had a girlfriend and all this, but like, I was definitely like kind of an asshole, kind of a, a, a problem. And in retrospect, you know, it, it's definitely the mental health stuff. I might be on the spectrum too. Like I'm, I'm still figuring some of this stuff out. Uh, but I come back, and all of a sudden, everybody's very nice and understanding to me because there's like 50, 60 kids in my class. Like this is not a very big school. The teachers like told everybody, like, "Hey, they went back. They tried, you know, they had a suicide attempt. They're out for a week." And then suddenly, everybody was very nice and supportive towards me, and I had a moment of like. Oh God, I've been the the problem here without realizing it. I just need to like not be a dick to people. People are generally pretty nice. The rest of my time then was pretty good. But then I, I go back for, for Christmas holiday because that was like the first half of the year. I go back for Christmas. I have like a weird mental break where I think my parents are trying to kill me. I run out in the woods naked, like in the snow with a hammer. And I show up at like some neighbor's door, like freaking the fuck out. So like I was in the back of a cop car. They they took me in, and then I was an inpatient, like fifty one fifty for a couple of days. Did you ever follow up with that neighbor? Like, did you see him again? Like, hey, it's. Uh, I think awkward. my parents did. Yeah. I I was not equipped to do that. I was in the waiting room to go to the inpatient too. And uh, first time I had sex with my girlfriend, I I, I didn't use a condom. <laughs> Came inside of her. And fucking, so I'm in there with my mom and dad and, you know, how Catholic of you. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, by the way, my girlfriend might be pregnant as we're here in the way. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that was disastrous. So then I got put on antipsychotics, which I really should not have been on. It's not a psychotic disorder that I was dealing with. And then the next couple of years of my life are like watching TV. When I look back at those memories, it's crazy. The amount of like sedative shit I was on. Right. Is it yeah. sort of a dissociation <laughs> from, from some years in your life? Sounds like. A hundred percent. I was on Vyvanse during the day, high dose Vyvanse. So I wouldn't like eat all day. And then I was at Seroquel at nighttime that would like knock me out. And so I was this weird combination of like, on amphetamines but also just very kind of glazed over mm-hmm. what you shouldn't be putting a 
16 year old on all of that stuff who's not does not have a psychotic disorder yeah that's a um, speedball it's that's crazy yeah. like so yeah i don't want to keep if i keep tangenting through this whole history, no that's okay like, no, this, we're, we're, we're moving through linearly <laughs> um yeah let's let's get to, get into college years and and you know we'll eventually kind of like work our way into uh you know you you starting the podcast and everything but you know let's let's get into like adolescence 20s um, you know, young adulthood. Okay. So coming out of high school with all that stuff going on, I managed to graduate. I managed to get into, into school. I went to Ohio state, which is where I ended up meeting my co-host. Um, this freshman year, I, I'd only really drank and smoked up to that point. I never smoked weed in high school. I was worried about like you know, it, I was like, I have all this mental health stuff going on. Honestly, no that was probably a good like, call. Yeah, thank God. Yeah. Also, every you know, everybody at this international school drank starting at like 13. Nobody smoked weed. When yeah. I came back to the U.S. and saw somebody smoke for the first time, who's like a good friend of mine now, I was like, this is crazy. This mm. is the, oh my, oh, they're smoking weed. This is nuts. I've never- it was a different <laughs> vibe back then, man. It really used it to was. feel like super illicit and crazy and like clandestine. And now it's just sort of whatever. Now it's, yeah. You eat half of a gummy and you play Mario Kart and then you go to sleep. It's a chill little time. Yeah. I, I thought it was insane stuff. So I avoided it. But then I get to college and then I start smoking way too much. I love it. And I have, I, uh, Without incriminating myself and going into too many details, I get a little explorational with some psychedelics mm-hmm. and uh, have experienced kind of an ego death situation where I'm like, oh, my God, you know, I've I've been this, you know, kind of almost arrogant person, all of this confidence the past couple of years from the Vivance and the, the Seroquel I'm on this isn't right. I need to get off of this stuff. Uh, and so I do, I go through SSRI withdrawals. Uh, I get put on academic probation, have to go home for a quarter. Cause I got like a one Oh, cause I just like, wasn't sleeping. I was just kind of doing crazy shit. Uh, then I enter this big stretch through college of being unmedicated and untreated for any of this. But I also like, get this wave of wow like my my parents are paying for school for me most of my friends have to like work to support themselves and i'm squandering this opportunity mm-hmm. i need to get my shit together and like take this seriously so i start like actually working hard i start like going to the library and studying like i kind of really get my shit together in that regard but my social anxiety becomes like the worst it's ever been i really really start struggling with that stuff enter a long distance relationship like longest one i've been in it, it gets very intense i'm like really properly in love with somebody for the first time it's largely toxic and taking a toll it's my new kind of thing i'm obsessing over and struggling with um but, you know i graduate with good grades and stuff i'm lined up to go to these phd programs make really good friends and stuff like all in all pretty good I meet my co-host in the in the process of this um but mental health wise like not a great stretch for me good on one hand very bad in like the confidence department i just become 
I go from having all of the unearned confidence in the world to being like, I am garbage and I can't like believe in myself basically like I just have to hope people are nice to me and things go well because like I I suck mm. um not good like an overcorrection basically right uh so I'm struggling with like presentations in school like getting up in front of people something that never used to phase me before that uh you know, sometimes I'm like drinking before doing a presentation because the anxiety gets so bad. Uh, I graduate, I move to LA to be with this person that I'm dating, start my first out of college job. Uh, around that time, I'm like, hey, I don't like that I can't public speak anymore. I'm going to start doing stand up comedy. I'm going to jump in the deep end and I'll figure it out that way. Like I'll exposure therapy myself doing these open mics and stuff. Uh, and like, I do that for about a year. I even like got on a couple paid shows, but I'm also have to drink to go up mm. because the anxiety gets so bad that if I try to get on stage without it, like I can't speak straight. I look at my notes and I can't read the page. I get very shaky and sweaty and I'm almost like re-traumatizing myself every time that happens because like I expect it to happen. And so I have to do a shot and drink a beer before going up. And I reach a point of like, I love doing this. Damn, I love performing, but this isn't sustainable. If I keep doing this, I'm gonna be I'm gonna become Doug Stanhope, who I love. Right. But I I don't have the constitution to be an alcoholic. It's yeah, you, know, you, you, you don't necessarily want to live like that guy, though. No. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I'm out in LA. I have this whole moment of clarity of like. I'm doing, I'm going to this PhD program because I'm supposed to, my heart's not in it. I'm in this relationship still that's toxic because I don't know how to break up with somebody. I'm listening to old Loveline archives at the time with fucking Adam Carolla and Dr. Right. Drew. Massive pieces of shit, but one of their episodes, they have somebody call in, in the situation I'm in of like, my relationship is bad and I don't want to do, I don't know what to do. And Dr. Drew is like, well, you know, you got to learn how to be in a relationship. You also have to like learn how to break up with somebody if you've never done that before. And you're in a situation where you just don't know that you need to do that yet. And I'm like, oh, fuck, that's me. And I get up the courage to break up with my girlfriend. Uh, the job I'm on ends and I leave and I go to Nashville. That's where I start working for that startup I was talking about at the beginning. Uh, and then I get back into therapy and I get back on medication. I start working on my, my shit again. And uh, around that time, too, I've reconnected with Audrey, my co-host. We're playing video games together with other college friends to stay in touch. And at some point, you know, I'm talking about, oh, I got a mic. I want to do a podcast. She's like, I've been producing music for 10 years. I got audio equipment. I know how to, like, edit and start a show. And we're like, oh, shit, what if we, what if we started making something? I don't know what to make. Oh, I've been listening to all this old love line. What if we just make like low budget love line? Yeah. Do Reddit questions. Uh, and then we love doing it. And we do it for, you know, still doing it six years and I'm safe behind a computer. I'm not like up in front of people. So I don't get so anxious. Mm -hmm. I'm able to do it sober. Um, and gradually start building an audience. People are actually writing in instead of just Reddit questions. And, uh, in the process of it, 
I'm like, oh, fuck, I can like apply myself to a creative project. I can sustain it in a way I've never done before with like I'd played music in the past and all these things. This is really good. This is really energizing. And uh, yeah, we've been running for six years now. And it's been one of the best things I've done in my life. It's, it's kind of proved to myself, like, I'm good at talking. People people like me. I, I like talking about relationship and mental health stuff. I can draw on all this experience I've been through. And I can, like, make a thing if I put my mind yeah. to it. And I start building up some confidence from that. So it's an it's apt comparison very, very with 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 Loveline, though. You know, it's it's, it's Loveline, but you're you know you're you're uh, queer millennials, and it's it's just a little bit less uh, uh, shitty and exclusive and Gen X than than the actual Loveline, yes. which I used to love listening to too. But like, definitely, you know, it did it did good and bad things. I think for everybody who listened, cause like it destigmatized a lot of things, but it also further stigmatized a lot of things too. 100%. You know, it's just like, so long as you weren't on the line of like, you know, the right side, the right side of the line of like what was acceptable at the time, you know, um, then you could get some pretty good answers out of that show. But if, if you were outside of the, the norm, I guess the, the purview of that show that it, it really, uh, it was just open season on you. And that's kind of everything in the 90s, too. I mean, you, you think about yep. just like 90s humor and how, you know, like who could be targeted by by jokes and stuff like, I don't know, like everybody talks about comedy being so fucking woke now and you can't say anything, blah, blah, blah. But like, I mean, you can. It's just I, I think we're just kind of waking up collectively to the realization that just because you can say some shit about somebody doesn't mean you necessarily should. And, right. you know, comedy can perhaps be a force of good and, and not uh, a force of cruelty and bullying towards people, it, you know, exactly. um, and, and, and that's pretty much it. So you and, and, and your co-host, uh, in the span of the show, um, Audrey transitioned. You came out as non-binary. Um, did you? Did some part of you know, like at the beginning of of, of the show, that like, hey, uh, there there has to be some sort of un, unexplored thing in our psyche, you know, like back behind, like back behind the eyes, um, that's in there that we just haven't haven't opened up yet. But yeah. we're, we're on this same sort of vibe. I. Like, so she she was out as bi as long as I've known her, and I was ostensibly straight and cis, but I also just, I didn't have any of this language. I was vaguely aware of people transitioning and was like, oh, okay, right on, but I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know any trans people. In retrospect, like, I felt non-binary as a child. Like, I, I grew up with three sisters. I always remembered this distinct longing of you know i i would like the quote unquote boys stuff i was into all of that but i would see them getting into like makeup you know and like these girly shows that like love teenage drama kind of things and just the fashion sense and and you know femininity and i was always like ah fuck i want that i don't not want this but i, I want that also Mm -hmm. But there's no language for that, you know, as like a white American child in the in the 90s and 2000s. So I always just kind of was like, 
oh, we'll just gloss over that, you know, forget about that stuff. You know, but I always had this sense in me that I didn't, I was never just totally comfortable with masculinity. Yeah. I, I Around this time, like, I'm a power lifter. I'm like 210. I was the fucking brick of a person. And I loved all that stuff. I, you know, if I dress masculine, like, I got a mustache. I got a strong jawline. Yeah. I'm pretty big. Like, you I'm a do, pretty You do present fairly masculine. You have a very, like, Nick Offerman kind of vibe. <laughs> but you also, you know, you have, you have like, rings and, and nail polish, too. So, like, you know, it, there's it's a little column A, a little column B. And that's sort of all there is to understand about it. You know, like, yeah. people make it this big fucking complex thing that's like, I don't know what the hell they're talking about. And what's a, this? And it's just like, I don't know, man. It's just. You know what femininity means when you hear the word. You know what masculinity means when you hear the word. Now just kind of like mash those two things together in a, in a soup and just yes. people will pick out whatever parts of that that they like and don't like. And that's it. And if, you know, I, I had this realization of like I because people would approach me and make assumptions about me because of the way that I look where I was like, fuck, I, I'm not that person. I'm not like a macho asshole. I'm an extremely sensitive person and I want to be pretty also. And I, I really like like androgyny and kind of hard intersections between masculinity and femininity. Like I'm, you know, I'm a little bit hungover today. I, I'm, I'm looking pretty mask, but like in the way it's only been recently that I'm really like finding an aesthetic that I like. When I'm really looking the way that I want to, I do a lot of colorful. I've got long earrings. My hair is long. I like having my makeup done. I've got my rings and my nails painted, but I've got a mustache and I can squat, you know, a ton of weight and all of this stuff. I, I like the hard contrast between those features. Mm. And it's, you know, not binary is such a big umbrella, but like aesthetically, that is what speaks to me. I like just the, the hard contrast of, of, both elements um and so through doing the show and having friends come out i was like oh shit that if people approach me with that context i feel much more captured like if you're meeting somebody for the first time you got to make assumptions with the categories we put onto people it's a mental shortcut that's why all this shit exists i am better understood if you're like this person has elements of both of these things I feel much more captured by that if you need to snap judgment, understand where to start off with me, basically. And finding the language for that and realizing, like, not only is that a thing I can be, and it's like what I've been this entire time, uh, has been really good. Like, I struggled with fashion in the past. I always didn't know how to dress. I never really liked how I was dressing. And now I fucking love this shit. I have, like, so many outfits that I'm energized by and... This has been a pretty recent, you know, discovery for me. Um, and it's been, it's been really, really good. I feel the most myself I have ever felt in, in the past couple of years since I've been out. That's great. Um, yeah. W walk us a little bit through the process of, of finding that, that line and finding, you know, what parts of, of masculinity, what parts of femininity you want to keep or, or put aside and, and, uh, you know, Trials and tribulations along the way. I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I grow up conditioned with all of that stuff. 
and like 2000s war movie airsoft Dane Cook, shitty, yeah. mean humor, like masculine energy. And I, I you know, I didn't really, I, I feel like I kind of like faked a lot of that because I was like, this is what I have to be or else people are going to fuck with me. So mm -hmm. I need to like be scary masculine, basically. And uh, never felt captured by that. And like, I'm a pretty gentle person when it comes down to it. And I just didn't, I didn't like that, but I was trying to protect myself, I, I think, and I didn't see this other option. I would have these waves of like, I feel something and I don't know what it is. Like, am I, does this mean I'm gay? Am mm. I bisexual? And I was like, I'm not really attracted to, you know, men, generally speaking. So I don't think that's it, but it's something, something is different. Something is not just kind of the straight cis norm without having any of those words as like as like a teenager. And as I go through high school, I graduated in 2010. So there is like a couple people out in my high school. I, you know, and I was immediately, I was always supportive of people. I definitely took it too, without having like the language or anything, just knowing stupid teenage boy like violence. Remember this girl in my class came out and I messaged her on Facebook and I was like, that's awesome. If anybody fucks with you, you tell me and I will beat the shit out of them. Right. It was like my ham fisted attempt to like offer support. I was like, I want to fucking protect these people. I, I, I hate when people get fucked with. Mm -hmm. I hate when, you know, weaker people or animals or whatever are fucked with by somebody bigger or more powerful. That was always like- Did you ever get like fucked with? 100%, yeah, as a kid. And then I overcorrected and I fucking bullied people. It, you know, it was not, it was not great. Mm -hmm. But I just always felt this deep sense of like, when I would see that happen, it would make me sick. It would make me want to cry. I, I hated it. I wanted to, I just had this impulse to like protect people like that or small mm -hmm. animals and all of these things. Um, and so, you know, you have this stupid idea of masculinity of like, only the strong survive. You gotta be like yeah. a tough guy. You gotta be feelings are bad. You can't, you know, you can't talk. You gotta suppress all of that shit. And I hated that. And that's part of what like screwed me up as a teenager was like, just being fed all of that shit and feeling like I couldn't let out a lot of the things I was I was feeling or lean into those impulses as much as I would like. Um, I did always find, though, I could always talk pretty candidly, particularly about relationship stuff and my feelings towards people and mental health stuff. And I would find that I would make a lot of close guy friends who, in retrospect, I think it's because I made them feel safe talking about that stuff. And I got this very good sense of like, I've felt alone with these things and I'm making this person not feel alone with that. And that's like one of the most energizing things I've ever felt. And so kind of along the way, I was like, uh, you know, I appreciate being like physically strong and being able mm -hmm. to like stand up for people and for myself in these things. But I also have this very strong sense of just I want people to be 
nice to each other. And when people are going through things, I want them to be held and loved and supported and, you know, not to be afraid on top of feeling terrible, afraid of trying to get any of that stuff out. Um, you know, and I think that's a more traditionally feminine element. And those categories are all, you know, it's, it's bullshit, but to try to explain kind of where I'm coming from, it's just, there. my, my, mental image of like my ideal encompassing myself uh is being i'm strong i've got my power lifter body i've got this mustache but i've also got extremely flamboyant makeup and colorful eyeshadow and i'm wearing heels and i'm wearing like a dress or something uh, and i'm benching a million pounds it's just mm -hmm. the hard contrast to these things that is what that's what i feel inside of me yeah, I mean, as a as a really sensitive person, I think you probably pick up on when people are being, uh, when people are being shitty, when people are being bullied, when people are being intimidated, um, and when you yourself are being, you know, bullied or intimidated, that really sticks with you. And you know, same. Like I, I, I speak, you know, from from experience on a lot of this, and you know, still to this day, I think have a lot of uh, internalized. Uh, toxic masculinity stuff that I'm still kind of still kind of picking through still kind of like talking about with my therapist and like, you know, um, it's, it's a really weird. Uh, it's a really weird journey, I think, for everybody, you know, like, because uh, I like when I was a kid, when I was like teenage, adolescence, early 20s, I liked being, you know, I, I, Kurt Cobain was one of my big heroes, you know, and, and like yeah. dudes with eyeliner and dresses and nail polish and stuff. And like, I thought that that was so cool. And, um, I experimented around with a lot of that kind of stuff. And, you know, like this is just my own journey, but like, I found out that that kind of just wasn't for me. That just wasn't what I wanted to like it just never felt right i was just like hey, i don't want yeah. this shit on my fingers they like i don't like I, I don't have time to fucking put on makeup every day not for me for sure just not my vibe you know you gotta um, feel it out but like coming back around and picking up elements of masculinity that i actually like um that i had initially sort of not rejected but sort of like sidestepped and just wasn't really into so far as athleticism and, and, you know, just a, a, a particular masculine chest out kind of swagger that, 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 mm -hmm. that, you know, just how guys carry themselves. I, I just felt like really avoiding that for the longest time. And then when I started exploring elements of masculinity and started dressing more masculine and started like, feeling and acting more masculine started lifting started you know i got a, a a cool motorcycle and a jacket and was like hell yeah was just like <laughs> yeah this is this is what i want this is and just started working with like <laughs> power tools and like working with my hands and was just like this is answering something primal within me that has just been <laughs> that has just been silent my whole life you know and and um you know i it's just it's funny to see people try and navigate the performance of gender, whatever their gender may be, um, because there's a bajillion different ways to do it. 
And yet we're presented with this idea that there's really only one acceptable way of doing it. You know, right. you, you get on Instagram and like, you know, so I, I, I like fitness and lifting and, and fight sports and stuff too. And like that whole world, as I'm sure you know, is rife with all kinds of fucking bullshit and <laughs> just just terrible people, bullies, misogynists, um, you know, it runs the gamut, right? Uh, and so the algorithm will show you stuff that, you know, like the, the real, the, the, the punisher guy, the like big fucking pickup truck with the, with the five oh, foot yeah. like hood, like, you know, uh, those, kinds, take those yeah, those kinds of guys, you know, who, who like, it's like imperative to them to like present a particular type of masculinity. And yes. not only that, it's like, that's the type of masculinity and anything else is like, you're a fucking sissy. You're a fucking soy boy. Yep. And like, this is what's yep. wrong with this generation. We're so soft and blah, blah, blah. And it just sucks that that is so much of the influential voice in uh, in, in some of those cultures, particularly yes. in in like weightlifting and and boxing, MMA stuff like that, like that's like the dominating voice um, in in a lot of that stuff, and it it just fucking sucks. And it's also like when I really look at it, like it's just it's silly to me in in so many it's ways. So like the fucking the, corny. It's corny, right? It's just that like I saw a meme a while ago, like somebody posted a picture of like these dudes at a barber shop and they were like these big tough looking dudes and the barber seats were like um designed to look like a motorcycle so you're like sitting on a, <laughs> on, like, a motorcycle while you're getting your hair cut and they were like yeah it happened and but they posted like right next to it like a picture of like little kids on like like little like toy right. ponies getting their hair cut and it's like this is the same this is the same thing they're just they're playing a little they're doing their little oh you're on your cute little motorcycle they like and it's just it's just so pathetic and yet i i don't know like this is a thing that i need to examine in myself but i feel like 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 this this need to like prove myself to people like that still which i should probably just let go of but like yeah, it's it's not that. even that like i want them to like me or respect me it's that i want them to know that like i'm not afraid of them i think this is what right. it is you know and 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 it's it's just been a weird thing that i've had to uh, reckon with, I don't know. We, we, we watched the Royal rumble yesterday. Um, and you know, I, I was never like super into, uh, pro wrestling growing up, but I think it's really fun to watch the performance and the athleticism is crazy. The bodies are insane. And, um, you know, that I think more than anything is it's, you know, I, who said this? I, I think, I don't know if Casey Salengo, former guest of the show, actually said this, like came up with this himself, but he was like, oh, it's male drag. It's it's, it's a drag performance. It's it's, it's, a, so it's a performance of hyper masculinity. And um, yeah, it's the I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. But the, the but, but the performance of all of that stuff is is always is, is endlessly fascinating to me. And I just hope that we can like kind of build towards a world where there are more acceptable uh, presentations because the, the, the diversity of expressions out there of people's gender is like, that's the beauty of it. Right. And it's, it's freeing. 
You are so much more free. Let me back up a second and hit you with something because you mentioned kind of fear and wanting to prove yourself. Yeah. Like all of that type of masculinity and what I felt when I was younger, it, it is just fear. Yeah. It is kids who are afraid because you grow up being fucked with and you have to, okay, I'm going to fuck with people harder so I don't get fucked with. Yeah. It all comes down to fear and subjugation and it sucks and it's self-perpetuating because you get traumatized in whatever way and you're afraid of all of this shit. So you start doing it right back and it keeps going and going and going. All of that stuff perpetuates itself. And it's frustrating because that shit is so corny. It's so lame. It's so constricting. And I've been in that and I see how it constricts people. Like, like at my core, I think every human being is fundamentally decent. And I think it is these forces that just twist people into fascist garbage because they are terrified children on the inside. And it doesn't excuse any of that, but there is still a seed of humanity in all of those people and all of their violence and subjugation of others. And I, you know, I felt some of that when I was younger. And the way I approach that is something I was mentioning before this thing I have felt since I was a kid, which so many of those guys, if you get them alone and you give them the opportunity to be like, hey, I comfortably and confidently talk about my feelings and it's okay for you to do that too with me, you can soften them. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, had influences in my life that I think got me out of that because they gave me those opportunities to speak freely and get out of that hyper self-monitoring and masculine performance that you're trapped in. And I think you can reach a lot of these people. I, I feel bad for them. I feel genuinely yeah. deeply sad for all of those people who are like that and the horrors that they're wrecking as a result of it because they're trauma victims themselves because they grew up in this insane culture that the same way that we did. I just had the support and avenues to get out of that, basically. It's funny, too, that like these these jackasses all talk about freedom and that's what's all important in this stuff. But none of them are free. Yeah, I mean, I, I tell any of those dudes to paint their nails or do their makeup and they're going to shit their pants. They're going to be <laughs> terrified of being mocked. That's not fucking free. You're going to the store and you're picking out cargo pants and stuff because you don't want to be gay. It's so constrictive and boring and it's not fun. Yeah, it is so much more fun to just let go of that shit. Well, and it and doesn't like, allow it doesn't it. allow other people to be free either. Like that's the thing is like it would be exactly. one thing if they themselves like felt really stifled in this like cookie cutter type of masculinity, but that's right. not all they're doing, is it? It's no, they got to enforce it. They have to enforce <laughs> it on other people and make sure and 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 the projection that you know the 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 fucking the woke mob the trans agenda blah 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 is like they're all trying to turn our kids into these little like green-haired fairies and like all of this stuff it's just like i don't see that happening like it, that's it's it's just pure projection to me like the idea that somebody being like trans around you will somehow infect you with 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 their queerness is silly to me like it's just not gonna happen like i like no. i have a lot of queer friends and the idea of kissing a man on the lips absolutely uh repugnant to me no would not ever do it i don't want to do that is not appealing at all you know <laughs> like just does not and and, and like 
I put myself there in my head, like, could I do it though? Could I? And I just like, I just don't want to. That just isn't exciting. That just would make me feel weird. And so they haven't gotten in my head. They're not in there. They can't tell me to be gay, you know? So it's just, it's, it's, it's wild to me that they, they, they claim to be all about freedom, personal freedoms and responsibilities. And yet they see somebody just really flying the freak flag and they're like, wait, what the fuck? We got to get this out of here. It's because that's all they have. When you put all your energy into like this fear-based, I have to, I've got to do the masculine thing. I've got to subjugate others. I can't be fucked with. That's all that you have. And so people who, you know, thwart that and say, no, I'm going to express myself in these ways that are non-conventional. I think that's terrifying to them because it makes what they have, it reveals it to be what it is, which is just corny, fear-based nonsense that makes everybody miserable. But if you were just conditioned with nothing but that, and that's your whole identity, mm-hmm. then that's all you fucking have. But I think in like, in a truly free Sorry, hang culture, on just a second. My dog is not. Oh, no. <laughs> Go. Out. Go. I'm surprised my cat's not scratching on the door because it's around <laughs> her, her dinner time. Uh, what was I saying there? Like, in a in a vacuum... Like if we if we we're raised in the way that we didn't have to deal with any of the shame and social pressure, I think what you would see is a much more varied mix of people. I think most people would be somewhere in that in between space. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a bunch of people would still be traditionally masculine, a bunch of people would still be yeah. traditionally feminine. But just because that's what they want, not because that's of what I'm fucking saying, and I think that's actually how probably most people would end up shaking out, just because like that's kind of. I don't know, gender roles and gender performance maybe kind of exists for a bit of a reason. And and so like, I think for most people, they do feel the more comfortable, like if they're, you know, assigned male at birth, they feel more comfortable walking around as a man in the world. And they're like, okay, cool. This is, I, I know what this is. But like, like, again, like the idea that, you know, the idea that, that it's it's just going to like mutate the population into this like big genderless sexless raceless thing this big vagary is just like no man because like i know a lot of dudes who really love being dudes and like listening to metal and scratching their nuts and i i know a lot of women who love being women and being all pretty and smelling good like and and i know those types who are like that and are completely open to other people doing their thing yeah and they're cool about it and that's just just it just comes down to just fucking be cool leave people alone yeah. do your own thing and if that makes you happy go for it but stop trying to force people to be other shit because that's just that cycle of trauma with that it just that caused all of my mental health mm-hmm. issues it causes most of the issues in the world and it sucks that it continues snowballing onwards and we see all this anti-trans legislation and all of this dumb shit and all of that just ends up being you know products of capitalist control and it's a whole different wormhole to go down and i'm not i'm not eloquent enough on those topics other people could talk about that much better than me but all that shit's linked up listen to one of our many sister podcasts uh, to to, you know for for more details about how capitalism fucks people (laughs) Um, yeah, it's just like when you talk about like how you, you know, you almost kind of relate to that feeling of being trapped and confined and, and, and like, 
you have sympathy for for people who are still kind of in that um like hard same and 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 like this was like a thing i discovered when i realized like when the like the nice guy thing came out like on the internet and then like that sort of mutated yeah. into incels and like yep. and and realized several times um that like oh there but for the grace of god you know like that 100%. this is something that i could have fallen into because i was painfully awkward and i was Me too. i was incredibly horny and awkward and just really like not a good combination and like wasn't good at anything wasn't like good at sports or guitar or anything there was nothing that was going to like draw chicks towards me you know so like it, it was it was just really uh difficult for a while there and 100%. Uh, and and like I, I, I cannot deny that, like, I was, that it, like, yeah, the, 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 uh, the pain of rejection and, and the kind of sadness and the loneliness, it turned to anger, you know? And, oh, and, and if you don't check it, that's where it goes, man. That's what happens. Cause we don't get any training on like navigating that stuff. Well, especially if you're from a religious background, this is, uh, I it is kind of it might come across a little narcissistic, but I'm I'm just being blunt. Like I easily could have been that, but I'm conventionally attractive and I got attention from women. True, I a hundred percent. That is true. So I for the listener, painfully look up, look up pictures of Donovan Air right now. He's one one handsome person. So like they, you know, they they sorry. Uh, they are they are one handsome person. Brad. <laughs> We're coming for you. Ah oh, man, I made it so far into the recording. We were talking about all this woke gender shit, and then I misgendered you. Um, that happens over. Uh, but yeah, it, it. Where was I going? Don Donovan's a, a, a very handsome person, and and doesn't have to deal has Oof. has has handsome privilege. Has has a big big muscular uh, privilege. It's crazy. So um, that's um. I I was just on House of Decline. But I don't think the episode's out yet. Do you know Alex? Do you know House of Decline? The comics. The I do know. I know the guys? comic. I don't. I haven't listened to any other stuff. Should listen to the show. He's an incredibly good, brilliant dude. Uh, we were just on there talking about. I was on with Audrey and him talking about uh, you know our mental health stuff. There, Audrey is on the spectrum. I think Alex was saying he either was diagnosed or he's kind of in this wheelhouse I'm at with like. There's a ton of comorbidity, comorbidity with OCD and ADHD and oh, autism yeah. spectrum. It might all just be the same thing is what I'm hearing from uh, I, uh, seeing somebody for a bit who's a psych professor who has like similar diagnoses that, that I do. Um, and just the way that uh, there's a kind of stereotype around what autism is. And so you kind of get diagnosed with it if you fit that, but you don't. Andrews, I was talking about how, you know, shit, in retrospect, I got a ton of the symptoms that align with that. And she's like, both of them are like, well, you're, you're just hot. And so people assume, okay, they can't be autistic. And I think that's <laughs> the, the women are often much less diagnosed because there's the stereotype of like the awkward can't socially work yeah. dude. And that's just. Yeah, that's just now with there are there are a lot of extremely attractive women on the autism spectrum. I can vouch for this. I live in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, They're everywhere. So, but it's it's weird how that can kind of, you know, if you don't fulfill like the stereotype of it. 
I don't know. That's a whole other track to go mm-hmm. down. Like mm-hmm. mental health diagnoses are very, very imperfect, and and that's a whole thing. I'm trying to sort some of that up. <laughs> yeah, it can be it can be a little tough to navigate. People can be misdiagnosed or like not be diagnosed until later, and you know it's a soft science and it's imperfect and it's moving along and and self correcting as you know as science does as time goes on. Uh, but I think that that unfortunately can lead people away from it. Just be like, well but five years ago you were saying it was this and now it's this. Yeah, and like, so, well, it's so maybe this is bullshit, you know, like just which, science baby. Yeah. That's just what science does. Science kind of progresses and moves along. But anyway, um, let's lastly talk a little bit about uh, music and what got you back in, like what got you back in and, and what took you out of it uh, in the first this, place. This will cap off my mental health journey and gender journey. Pretty good. Cause all this has been very intertwined for me. Um, as part of like the Catholic shame thing, I can't remember if I was mentioning this earlier, but I've been horrifically self-critical my entire life. Like just a horrific fear of looking stupid. Uh, to the degree that, you know, I had all this anxiety about being on stage and all of this stuff and performing and being perceived. But I realized like maybe two years ago now that like I couldn't even sing alone in the house with nobody else listening because i was afraid i would look stupid wow to fucking who but i, I had this sense one day of like look, jesus you're, I feel you're this nsa intensely. agent that's who yeah <laughs> or god i i, I my ah, conclusion yeah. i talked to my coast was like is it a religious thing am i just constantly self-monitoring because of all that catholic shit of like am i am i fucking up am i going to hell or whatever when i had that realization that that was dumb and that I, I needed to fight through that. It has been the most freeing thing I have ever experienced. Um, so at the beginning of last year, uh, I was in a relationship. I was dating somebody who's an actress. She's this very, very talented performer, very confident with all of it. And I admired that so much. And I really had this sense of like, fuck i want to be able to be free like i feel all of this stuff this feelings that i want to get out in art that i just straight up haven't let myself do any of that i I played in like jazz band in high school i played clarinet for many years i played guitar and bass but i struggled to play with other people because i would be so self-conscious about fucking up or sounding bad and then they would make fun of me or, or, or something. And so I just like quit all of it. I was like, I guess I can never do this. Despite music being like my main important art form, I listened to a lot of weird shit. It's gotten me through, you know, a lot of these bad times that I've gone through. I hear music in my head, but I was just kind of, oh, you know, I can never do that. It's just not for me. Through dating this person, I talked to her about some of this stuff. And, you know, she kind of planted those seeds of like, yeah, you can, you can just, you can just do that actually. Like just embrace it, you know, just embrace doing that, go for it. Uh, and so I had this moment at the beginning of last year where I was like, I am actually going to set goals for the first time. And one of my goals was to work through that stage anxiety without using any kind of medication or drugs. The other one was to get up and perform in some capacity. And uh, I was like, she had, you know, knew all this acting stuff. She's like, there's a good school for that there. Like, go take an intro acting course. Everybody will everybody will be new. It'll be supportive. Be comfortable being vulnerable. 
And I went in on the first day and you had to get up and like explain what you were trying to do with it. And I'm visibly shaking and sweating. And I'm like, hey, I this happens to me. I get so nervous in front of people and I'm a good speaker, but it makes me not able to speak. And I, I hate that feeling. I want to work through this. Uh, and like three classes later, it was it was good. This thing that made me quit comedy that has been holding me back for six, most of my life, but like six years since trying on it, it was like, what the fuck? I just had to like exposure therapy myself a little bit. Holy shit. And it was excellent. And I was like, wait a second. Like I never let myself act. I did drama tech in high school because I was afraid of it. I was like, this is so vulnerable and scary and, and fun. I got to do more of this. So I was doing classes all last year. I'm still doing that stuff. Uh, you know, I just had this sense of like the podcast is scratching the creative itch that I have, but it, I, there is a, I can't get the abstract stuff out through, you know, my show's format in the way that I want to. I got to explore some other stuff. So I start doing the acting stuff and then I'm like, oh, most of the music I listen to is electronic, like maybe part of the reason outside of the self-consciousness that like I, I bailed on that was because with an acoustic guitar, I can't really make the sounds that I hear in my head and the music that I really like. So I started messing with Logic, which is just like a, a DAW, like Ableton mm -hmm. or GarageBand, all that stuff. Started doing computer stuff and made some stuff that like I liked okay. And I did a bunch of YouTube tutorials. I got a handle on it, um, but it didn't quite click with me. But it did like working with that stuff and working with a piano keyboard to control it. Like music theory clicked with me in a way that it never did on guitar. And then I started a new job over the summer. I got a signing bonus and I was like, what if I bought like a hardware synth? Cause I like tinkering with things and I've got all this tech knowledge, maybe being able to physically mess with it will be good. Uh, and now for the past four months, I play synth for like at least two hours a night. I have never had an instrument click with me this much. I have never like made stuff where I'm like, holy shit, this is what I'm hearing inside of me. This is I'm doing like I'm flowing with this in a way that I never did with guitar. And it's been so fucking liberating. And I do it every night and it it's very meditative to me. I can get these feelings out. Uh, Along this process too, like I went through this awful breakup with that person. We were living together at the beginning of last year and I needed an avenue to get those feelings out. And this has been letting me do that. I also started seeing somebody in this process uh, who's an actress and muralist up in Milwaukee, who is the most creatively encouraging person I've ever met in my life. She's fucking incredible. One of the, one of my favorite people I've ever encountered, and I've met a lot of people. And she has been extremely supportive and jazzing me up and pushing me to like post some stuff on social media. Who fucking cares if you're gonna look embrace looking stupid? Forget any of that. Just you, that's part of the process. Just do that and get it out there mm -hmm. and be energized by that instead of you know processing it as anxiety. Uh, so she has really helped me. So I did a student film last year. We just did our first live show for the podcast last weekend where I was on stage and that went well. I have two songs that I am doing vocals on that I used to not be comfortable doing and I like the vocals. Uh, and this is coinciding with the gender identity stuff. 
I just, the past year has been very difficult, but has been the most generative stretch of my entire life, I think. I have moved past that fear of looking stupid and I'm now energized by it. And my mental health is just like so much better as a result of this. I finally like have this outlet to get this shit out of me that has been weighing on me for, for 32 years. And, uh, and it rocks. And so now I'm connecting with people in Chicago. I'm trying to find a creative community. We're making good grounds on that. My goal for this year is to release an EP and to perform my stuff on stage before the end of the year. So and I'm feeling like I can fucking do it because I did all the goals last year and I never ever set or completed goals in my entire life before that. Um, so I'm feeling pretty hyped about it. I'm feeling, despite the awful state of the world, I'm feeling I have the best handle on yeah. myself and who I am and my mental health that I've ever had. Um, that's, that's fucking really, beautiful. Really that's that's great. Hell yeah. I mean, you know, there's nothing much you can do about the whole rest of the world. You know, that's that's another part of just accepting like, well, that's, uh, the world's just going to world and uh, right. I, I can do my part. But but I'd rather spend you know the limited time making something beautiful from you know my experience and appreciating things rather than what i used to do which was numb things with drugs and spiral all of the time and despair are, are you are you um, you're sober these days no i'm not i'm not uh i'm not totally sober but i used to like you like just I was saying, right I you just dialed it back you had, to, you had to reel it in a little bit had stretches of smoking too much yeah. just trying to like numb the feelings or find the drug that would mm -hmm. like fix that anxiety at my core I turns out i just needed to go do a fucking intro acting class and like let myself fail at music until i made stuff that i liked and isn't it great when I, you when you when you do too much you drink too much you do too many drugs but you don't have to quit <laughs> you, you you you're not fully like fucked up to where right. you, you like you, you you're just like oh this has to be out of my life you're just like oh i need to just like dial this back and maybe examine why i went overboard with it and was having an unhealthy relationship with it and then it's fine i'm lucky in that regard yeah. the other thing though another goal this year i gotta quit nicotine again i made it almost a year i fell back on it with the breakup mm just nicotine gum i was like i'm not gonna fully go back to using tobacco pouches but i'll just use this as like a bandage during the move out and i've been chewing nicotine gum all the time for like six months so i have to quit this is shit. that even pleasurable have, my deadline is the end of march what's that is that even pleasurable it's the it's so gross <laughs> brad the kind of just got his original flavor and it's uncoated uh -huh. it tastes like chewing gum that you scraped off the bottle bottom of a chair like there's just a faint memory of bubble gum in it mm -hmm. and it's just like nasty putty and i'm still addicted to it because of the stupid nicotine but i found this kind because i was like at least if it tastes like shit maybe i'll use oh, it okay so that's it it's almost like a um the anti-pavlovian sort of thing it's like i'm gonna make yeah. this unpleasant so that i stop because if it was just like a patch or something, or if it was nice, then you'd want to keep doing it. Like I was chewing the mint kind before, and then I like really acquired a taste for that mint, which is like Walgreens brand mint nicotine gum, mm -hmm. which is really gross, that I started liking that. Uh, so I, I don't know. I had a strategy I did to quit last time that I'm, I'm going to do with this, but I set the end of March as my deadline because I was functioning fine for a year without it after using it for like 15 years straight. I uh, 
it's just, it's, you know, you build the tolerance and then it's mm -hmm. just maintenance. And what am I spending all this money on to not really feel anything other than not having cravings, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm that's one that I never really got on. I don't know. I don't have the constitution for smoking. I, I, lucky, it like makes bastard. me, yeah, I'm lucky. It's just biological luck. I've, I've, I wanted the smoke. I thought it looked so cool and it does, but it, uh, I, it's so I, cool. But I just, I, every time I smoked, I just felt like nauseous, like almost immediately. It was just like, Oh, this is, this is make going to make me throw up. And like, I just couldn't ever get used to it. So I was like, you know what? For the best. I guess you gotta have a girlfriend who smokes when you're 15 because she steals your dad's cigarettes and you want to look cool, so you push through the nausea, Brad. That's mm. the secret. I did have so a just girlfriend try who that. smoked when she was 15 or when when we were 15, um, but I, oh, I didn't still didn't. It? No, I did. I was like, I don't. I was like kind of straight edge in high school, um, uh, which is like a whole other can of worms. But yeah, I was funny. like, I have this girl does this, so I have to, so that she will like me, which is an insane thought process because <laughs> I was kind of, well, as we've established, I was not in a great place when I was 15. <laughs> Nobody is. Come on. <laughs> it's not easy to be 15. All Some right. people are, and those people are twisted. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's people who, I mean, but that's, but then that's it, right? You peak in high school and then like, whatever, like, I don't. You know, the, the, those are the, 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 the mythological neurotypical people, um, yeah, who, who we hear so much them. about, who I just don't think really like exist, you know, they're just, I don't buy it. There's high some functioning darkness lurking under and they're there. never in debt and they own property and they just like have kids and everything's fine with their lives. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. I don't trust it. Something's, something's a mess. It's suspicious. Yeah. Is what it is. It's suspicious. Absolutely. We should wrap up, but uh, let's do plugs. Let's plug your show one more time and, and any other things you you want to uh, let us know about. Hell yeah. Radio Free Topic is the name of the show. Uh, we're going to have you on soon. Mm -hmm. uh, when I schedule you, like mid-February, I think? Yeah, around Valentine's Day, fittingly. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So keep an eye out for Brad. I, I think you're going to be excellent. Like I wanted to come on here because listen to your show. I think you're on a similar wavelength to us. So... If you like if you like this show, I think you'll dig us. You can write in questions. Uh, it's at RFTB Pod on Instagram and Twitter, at RFTB and the other stuff on Blue Sky. Uh, our website's RFTB.me. Nothing else is called that. Like just look it up and you'll and you'll find it. Um, I am at Dono and the stuff on Blue Sky. That's unlocked. I'm at RFTB Dono on Twitter, but that website is poison, so I'm not on there as much. Yeah. Uh, I'm probably posting them. I'm back to Instagram, which feels insane. Mm -hmm. I'm at RFTB Dono on there. If you request me, I'll probably let you through if we got mutuals. But that's where I've I've been posting um, clips of my music stuff, just like jam stuff in my stories. I need to set up a dedicated synth page like start putting stuff out there and have that unlocked so if you're hearing this and some time has passed you know just go check my socials and check my music out i i will be figuring that out in the coming weeks to, to put that out there yeah future um, music yeah and it is futuristic it's computer shit. i mean yeah that's true if anything's the, the music of the future that's synth so yeah that's it so check that out and uh yeah, thank you for having me, Brad. It's been excellent talking Absolutely, to you. yeah. Thank you so much for being on, and it's such short notice and everything. This was perfect.
Thank you once again to Donovan Air for being on the show. And uh, thank you for listening. And uh, if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash selfworst. Kick in as little as a dollar a month and you can get bonus content. You know, little snippets I cut out, little extras, little bonus episodes where I just talk to myself uh, in a really uh, super hinged and, and, and not crazy manner. And, um, you know, you can get you can get all of that for a buck. And he'd be helping me out. And uh, let's see. Follow me at Radical Pearson on Instagram and I guess on Twitter. I don't really post on there anymore. I haven't really posted or been on Twitter much since uh, since Kissinger finally croaked. I feel like it peaked. And that was it. And there's no point in going back and the place sucks. And um, So I don't know. Sometimes I'll post a thing on threads. But as I don't get enough feedback on there for it to really give me enough dopamine to continue doing that either. So I guess I'm just on Instagram. That's fine. Follow the show on Instagram too at selfworst. Um, and that's it. Music is by Shea Bartel. Uh, his theme song was co-written by me and Shea Bartel. How about that? And uh, yeah, I I did the artwork. I did the editing. I did the I did I run this shit. I post it. I do everything. So thanks, me. Um, that's all. Try and, you know, just keep your head up, keep your chin up, um, go for a walk or something every day, even if it's unpleasant out, get out of the house, go do a thing, and, uh, you know, eyes on your own paper, stay in your own, stay in your own purview and keep doing what you're doing and try and not, um, try and not fret too much about the world at large, because that's going to just do what it's going to do as we discussed in this episode and what, what, what the fuck keep keep trucking along uh that's it i'm brad pearson until next time um i don't really have a sign off anymore i don't I, I used it used to be go out and fail it's good for you i don't like that anymore i haven't come up with a new one so um bye see you in hell <laughs>